when you're talking about early stage are looking for people who are very strong on the finance and forecasting side and their ability to build out models and be strategic and you know move with different assumptions that come into the model. In the world of business finance, things change fast. Welcome to the Leaders of Modern Finance, a show where today's finance innovators discuss what the future holds. Learn from experts in the field as they explore emerging finance trends, insights, and more. This episode is brought to you by Stamply, the leading account payable automation platform. With Stamply, collaborate easily and efficiently with invoice approvers, vendors, and anyone involved with purchases. This helps you quickly resolve issues and questions, resulting in 5x faster approvals. Contact us to see why users love Stamply and schedule a demo at stamply.com. Hello there, my name is Derek DeWinter and I'm the co-founder and president of the DeWinter Group. Uh, we are a finance, technology and HR search firm uh, with lines of business and consulting, uh, project and interim placement, contingent and retained search. We have three offices in the Bay Area, uh, Oakland, San Francisco and Silicon Valley. And as of last week, have been in business for about 21 years, a little over now. Uh, today, we are going to be addressing probably the number one, certainly top three question that we get asked as recruiters, and that is, what is the best time to begin hiring for leadership finance and accounting positions at an early stage company? Uh, to help me dive into that question, um, I'm going to get the uh, the help and the great pleasure of um, speaking with my co-founder, uh, friend and business partner. Partner Mike Tomasello. I'll have him introduce himself uh, shortly here, but to give some sort of point of reference, Mike and I collectively have about 50 years of experience in recruiting, have placed hundreds and hundreds and probably into the thousands of people uh, throughout the Bay Area. Uh, and this question that we are going to be addressing today has probably been asked of us several thousand times over the course of the past 25 years. Uh, and it's never an exactly a one-size size-fits-all response, but um, we'll dive into it. And uh, Mike, maybe a little bit about yourself before we uh, get going. Sure. As you stated, uh, we founded the firm about 21 years ago. And since then, uh, we've been focused on recruitment in the finance and accounting arena. Um, in recent years, probably the last five or almost six years, we've been doing a higher level retained search in the finance world, working with VPs of finance searches, working on CFO searches. Uh, with companies from Series A up to small public companies, so it's a good topic to discuss. Um, it's something that we we want we say we have expertise in because we've just done so many transactions. But it's I think it's something that's very helpful for a lot of companies out there to understand uh, with respect to timing and when to bring in their lead finance person. Um, so that's really it for that. All right. Well, so to the question at hand, what is the best time? to begin hiring for leadership positions in finance uh, if you're an early stage company, series A to C, just to kind of frame it a little bit better? Well, I mean, series A to C is actually a pretty wide berth of client clients you're talking about. You know, at series A, you're, you're just getting things started. You've built, you know, organization that probably has obviously your operation side as well as the people who are generating your, your, your revenue, uh, your engineering side as well. Um, you're doing a lot of 
from an accounting and finance standpoint, you're at the very early stages. Like you're paying your bills on time. You're getting things on bill.com. You're doing invoicing on QuickBooks probably. So really what you want, if you are going to hire at Series A, is someone who's kind of both a good accountant and someone who's good, a good FP&A person, forecasting person. So someone who kind of owns the model, owns the forecast, but can also block and tackle at the transaction level uh, for accounting. Those, those tend to be titled head of finance, VP of finance type roles. You're, you're far from hiring a CFO in the truest sense. Um, but, you know, that's what you do kind of at a Series A. Around Series B, you start delineating between the accounting function and the finance function. You may bring in someone who's a very light kind of controller who's just doing your accounting and your reporting. Uh, and then there's someone who's doing your finance and owns the forecast. So that one role is now split into two. And then Series C, when things start getting closer to, you know, a run rate where you're getting close to 100 million and you're starting to look for more money at a higher level, obviously your Series C is going to be fairly large uh, relative to your A and B. You're going to start looking for people who have a little bit of experience in financing, meaning going out and getting that money and having those relationships and uh, being a little bit more detailed in the finance in, a, in the sorry in the forecasting function, and also being a little bit more strategic. So that's when you're you know, again, you still have a separation between your accounting and finance, but you are starting to look at maybe someone who can be a quote CFO, someone who has run a finance function top to bottom. You may have the controller roll up into this person. Um, you know, you may be adding some cash management responsibilities to this role. Not necessarily the person who could take you public, depending on how big you are. Um, but, you know, the one thing that we have seen change in the past few years is that, you know, a Series C company could be a $50 million company. It could be a $200 million company. It really depends on where they are in their life cycle. And that tends to dictate when they bring in a true CFO. Yeah, I think the Bay Area is unique in that, you know, our tech world is is very, very different than a lot of the rest of the world, the rest of the country. There's a couple of other tech centers around, around the nation, whether it's um, Denver or Southern California or Seattle or New York type of a thing. But, you know, we have a lot of, you know, traditional companies hire in a more traditional fashion where you've got markers or milestones which you hit and then you do something. So it can often be a little bit more, I wouldn't say reactive, but like you hit a certain sales number, you hire more administration or finance. You hit a certain um, you know, mile marker in kind of your, your product development, you're selling to a certain type of customer, you hit certain events and they trigger activities, including moving to other locations and having the complexities of the compliance issues that you might have if you were now have a production facility overseas. But the idiosyncrasies of our technology landscape is that a lot of the work that we do is with companies that have zero revenue. And so those traditional triggers for hiring somebody are um, more projection or growth oriented. And a lot of series A to C companies, um, you know, you've got new founders, maybe maybe first-time founders, maybe second-time founders, and board members are VCs. You know, you don't have a lot of independent board members. And those, uh, those VCs um, are very growth-oriented individuals. They are forward-looking. Um, they have provided you money to go spend it, to go get, you know, revenue and market share and that type of a thing. So there's a lot of pre-revenue hiring that we see in the Valley that doesn't exist in most places. 
Yeah, I, I, I think your point is, is valid, Derek, is that there is a certain X factor and variable that is the unknown when you're hiring here in the Valley. You know, the, the speed of growth is so quick and, and so hard to predict uh, that it's very difficult. Well, not very difficult, but more difficult than it is in other areas to decide when to bring in a leader for your finance organization. That's for sure. I think one of the other things that you see in a lot of boards, uh, particularly as you start getting um, more serious investment, is you get more serious people in the room every quarter. Uh, they want to know what you're doing, and that tends to uh, impact the type of individual that you hire, particularly of late, where you get folks who are really good around a model, you know, really good around development and massaging of a model, pivoting of a model, um, looking forward at currently unproven things that you've done as a business because you still, you may not even have customers, but you're being asked to forecast in a way that, um, I don't know that it's hypothetical, but it certainly requires um, you to put your critical thinking cap on as a finance person um, because there are critical thinkers in the boardroom who are going to be asking us some more serious questions once they hand you $50 million or a hundred or obviously much bigger <laughs> numbers that we've seen uh, over the course of the past five or 10 years. Uh, Mike, you touched upon this, you know, or made quick reference to it is, you know, has this first in finance hire changed in profile over the course of the past five, 10 years? I mean, you know, the profile has in some ways, yes. And in some ways, no. I mean, I, I think people, when you're talking about early stage are looking for people, like I mentioned before, who are very strong on the finance and forecasting side and their ability to build out models and be strategic and, you know, move with different assumptions that come into the model. They do have to have a little bit more of an accounting background to them. I mean, a lot of companies in the early stages may even outsource the accounting. We've seen that a bunch. Um, and, you know, when you bring it in-house, it, it needs to be justified. There needs to be enough there. Um, you know, I, I think when you start talking about things that are getting closer to a liquidation event, when you're in the Series D, Series E range, and you're looking to do an IPO, the, the skill set does change. I mean, you go from someone who's very strategic. There's always a strategic person in that role. But you go from someone who has a little bit more experience running a public company, which requires a different skill set related to you know, Wall Street relationships, the ability to manage the expectations on the street, the ability to run an investor relations organization, um, you know, have someone who's a little bit more of a sophisticated controller who's managing the SEC reporting requirements, the regulations there, the SOX reporting. I mean, it becomes a much more, a much bigger role with broader, broader responsibilities that are actually less technical and kind of more relational and strategic. So it's, you definitely see a, a difference there when you go public. Yeah, as I think, you know, back when uh, when dinosaurs roamed the earth and we were sending fax machines places, it feels like if there was a series A or B company, they were hiring a controller. They were hiring an accounting person. They were not hiring somebody who was forward-looking and MBA-oriented. There was a blip in the market back in, you know, the dot-com boom where a lot of investment bankers were drawn to the Valley and were being hired for some of those positions. But traditionally speaking, up until probably about five, six, seven years ago, um, the first hire in was almost always a controller. Um, and what, what I think what we see now is, I mean, there's, this, uh, there's a title of head of finance. Like I never placed a head of finance before 2006 ever. Um, but it's a title that kind of bridges both the finance and accounting function. And we're seeing a lot more VP of finance hires that have 
greater strength, significantly greater strength on the modeling side of things than they do the accounting side of things, which we never really saw that much of before. And my, uh, my hunch is that this coincides with the heavy emphasis on the transition from enterprise software to SaaS and the emphasis on finding folks that have knowledge of that model from a forecasting and budgeting perspective, as opposed to an accounting perspective. Because now some of the accounting issues aren't as complicated, you know, perhaps. I may counter that a little bit, Derek, because as much as I do think the accounting function, especially with RevRec, has gotten more complicated over the years and commissions and how people are accounting for that stuff, I, I think that What's interesting is technology has made it a lot easier to bypass the early accounting hire. I mean, you've got companies that I mentioned before, obviously you've got all these ERPs, but even early stage QuickBooks with, you know, that was, that's been around for a while, but now you've got bills.com. You've got all these things that kind of manage your transactions a little easier. So you may not need a full headcount to grind away at invoicing, for example, or collections that you may have needed, you know, 10 years ago. Technology's really made at least the transactional accounting side, a little bit easier to manage. Um, I do agree that the complexity of, of you know, the, the models themselves have required someone to come in and understand the model. But I, I do think that, um, you know, that makes a little bit more sense to me from the technology standpoint that the finance hire is a little bit more of a first hire now. I certainly think there are a lot more outsourced accounting resources than there ever were before. Um, fractional you know, relationships with companies that have CFOs and accounting folks, and even some really strong accounting firms that have an outsourced function in addition to their audit review and tax and compliance functions. So, um, you know, I, we address this in general for kind of the series A to series C or D type of a thing. And, and when is the first time to hire, or when is the right time to hire that individual? Uh, what are the triggers for it? But you know, let's pivot a little bit and, and talk a little bit about a later stage company. So you're a series D or E and you've raised whatever, and you've got some crazy unicorn valuation. You know, what are some of the transitions that are maybe happening in those companies um, at a senior level? Maybe not CFO, well, I guess CFO, but the kind of the VP levels underneath that individual. What are some of the trends that you have been seeing? The speed with which people are gaining valuation is 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 as high as it's ever been. It's, it's, it's frankly a little crazy. Um, so companies are having to really adjust quickly to, again, some, some event. It could be an IPO. The IPO market's very, it's pretty hot right now, but you throw the SPAC market in there, you have the requirements to report on the street, which brings in a whole different dimension and dynamic to the CFO role. So, you know, the things that will always be required, or again, as I mentioned before, those, that ability to, talk to the street, be able to manage an earnings call, set expectations with the street, have those relationships with the different banks who are, you know, covering your stock, for example, you know, but would also be able to manage a team internally that is bigger and broader. You know, in some cases we've seen the advent of the CAO role, the chief accounting officer become much bigger, which is what I like to call a controller on steroids, who is very strong on the compliance side, is very strong on the SEC side, you know, signs the financials. So it's it's a it's become a little bit more complex in the CFO's world when you go public. And that requires a skill set that, you know, I think I, I think, and you can remark on this, Derek, is that it's it's interesting that we've seen more CFOs who have had a 
accounting background and maybe even a compliance background early in their careers because they're a little more familiar with the with what the demand for that now and have moved on to be more finance oriented business oriented operations oriented but still have that foundation in there um, we also see people getting frankly hired right out of banks to be cfos and that again addresses the the wall street experience the ability to raise money the ability to um, you know be be good with risk risk management so you can see them go in, in multiple directions but they definitely have to have that experience with with the compliance and the uh, and the uh, street experience that's probably been one of the more prevalent positions that you know we've addressed of late is that vp controller and cao or if you, if you don't have a vp controller and you're looking to hire somebody and you're really late stage do you hire a chief accounting officer? I mean, you, you're introducing another chief title into an organization that didn't have it before in the finance function because you maybe got away with your VP of FP&A or VP controller not being an officer of the company. But now all of a sudden, you know, you're you're hiring a chief of something. And that's different, like your CMO or CTO or CIO. Um, and I know we've had some clients have some difficulty even internally justifying uh, that type of chief title for something that ultimately is pretty important. And I made an analogy of, to somebody, actually, I think it's a current client that we're working with, um, which is, you know, if, you are, if you're looking to replace your controller with somebody who's a chief accounting officer, you're basically looking to get a huge left tackle. You know, you are, this is your blind side. And I don't care what it costs. <laughs> You know, if you think you are going to have a liquidity event, a big IPO, and you raise three, four hundred million dollars, you need an incredibly strong blindside person to protect you, um, which resonated with him as a football fan. But in whatever you, whatever analogy you want to make of it, like that has been something that we've been seeing an awful lot over the course of the past four or five years. And we've been seeing it earlier in in the stage of a company. Usually, we would do it yeah, even pre-public. Yeah, I mean, we would been doing a couple of. I mean, they're very late stage pre-public, but it's you know, let's get ready to you know pull the trigger on our IPO. Let's get this person in. It does provide a lot of protection for the CFO, and they are recognizing it more than they have in the past. I think it's become pretty evident that you need somebody who's very strong compliance side and very strong on the system side to, you know, pr- you know, to protect the CFO in certain areas that they may not be experts in. Um, and it, it's an interesting, it's an interesting role that has just gained a lot of steam and the demand for it is huge, whether it's a CAO or a VP controller, it has been, that's probably the highest demand in the market right now, uh, relative to the, to the market, to the, the supply, frankly. Well, I think, you know, we want to try to wrap this up. And in in conclusion, I would say all is lost. All is lost if you don't do this at the right time with the right person. I'm kidding. Um, You can always make changes to any sort of decisions you make. You're not, you know, uh, your feet are not going to be in cement, you know, loaded in the spot that you can't move from. Um, But I think one of the difficulties is doing something that you've never done before. And a lot of founder-led companies who have not done this before are really great at engineering and really great at creating product and really great on the technology side of things. Finance is a bit of, bit of an anomaly and a, not an anomaly. It's, it's, it's not known to them, that they're unsure of it. And so um, I find that that is often something that they are very reticent to hire for. And just because I love analogies, um, uh, if you are, if you're thinking about, if you feel like you've hit a milestone, where like we really need somebody, the chances are you've needed them for longer than that moment. 
It's like, like being thirsty. If you're thirsty, you're already dehydrated, you know? And so the impact of, of not having somebody strong by your side in the finance and accounting function has already been felt by your organization. So once you've made that decision, it's great to gather as much information as possible and execute on it soon because you really already needed that, that, uh, that individual. So um, just a slight word of advice. Uh, Mike, any closing thoughts? Any, if nothing else, remember this? No, I don't, I don't have a bomb for this one. I usually have a great, you know, drop a bomb in the conversation, but I, I don't this time. I mean, I think, I think I will say I do, I do believe boards and founders have become a little bit more savvy because they do, they do reach out to people to find out when the timing is right. Um, obviously we have a lot of case studies to pull from to help these people out. It's, it's certainly, you know, it's certainly something that is, it, you, like you said, it's not something that they're very familiar with. I mean, these guys are engineers. These guys are salespeople. These guys, these guys know how to run an organization and make money. But, you know, the finance thing is not something they're super familiar with. And, you know, if you have questions, you know, people should reach out. They should reach out to the VCs. They should have their, you know, reach out to people who really can help them target the right time and opportunity to make the moves on this stuff. Like us. Like us. Wink, right? wink. But it's good. I mean, we're a great resource, to be honest. So, Yeah, I know. Well, we've done this a couple different times. Um, I guess the one thing that I might say, tell folks is, you know, try to provide yourself some sort of flexibility in your hire. Um, you, you can always make changes to what you do um, in terms of a hire, whether it's hiring above somebody or below somebody. And I know that's not a popular thing to think about hiring above someone, but Things change. We're we're pretty we're in as dynamic a marketplace as there is in the world from a business perspective. And you know, you see companies with hockey sticks going up into the right, and the person that's right today may not be right in in two years. And I wouldn't try to overthink preparing for what your organization looks like in a couple of years. I really strongly encourage most founders or most hiring managers to think. What are my most immediate needs today? What are my, my most immediate needs in the next 12 months? What keeps me up at night? And that's the type of person that I want to try and go look for, um, as opposed to something in the future, so, or too far in the future, at least. So, well, I want to thank um, Michael. Thank you for joining me today, bud. Um, and of course, Stampley for providing us a forum to have a conversation about this. I uh, really appreciate being on these podcasts. And if you guys have any questions for us, uh, those who are listening, you can reach out to Mike or I. Our information is on our Winter Group website. And we look forward to hearing from you. Have an awesome day. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Leaders of Modern Finance podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all the resources mentioned in today's episode at stamply.com slash leaders of modern finance. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Stamply, the most powerful way to process and pay invoices. Stamply is the only accounts payable automation software that centers communication on top of the invoice so that accounts payable collaborates better with approvers, vendors, and anyone involved in purchases to quickly resolve issues and questions, resulting in 5x faster approvals. Contact us to see why users love Stamply and schedule a demo at stamply.com.